Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what are the spiritual mechanics to becoming enlightened? Welcome to episode number 127. Today, I'm welcoming back for the third time Vishrant, an enlightened, awakened teacher from Australia. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and important recording. Let's begin. Ready to play, Vishrant? <laughs> I love play. <laughs> welcome, welcome back to the podcast for the third time. Why is it so challenging to drop the thoughts, drop the ego, drop the desires, when in actuality, they're not even real? They're an illusion. So if it's an illusion, why can't we just? Because you're programmed not to. You're programmed to do what you're doing. You're programmed to constantly think, actually, which is not what you did before you went to school. You pretty much lived in reality before you went to school. You were present to what was happening around you. But you and I went to school. We learned to live in our heads. So we could actually pass exams get a degree or something later uh, by remembering things and repeating them. And so most adults live in their heads because they've been programmed to at school for 12 years. Enlightenment is really a deprogramming. Enlightenment's not a deprogramming, but the, the, a mind that will support enlightenment has to be deprogrammed. So enlightenment itself is just awareness aware of itself continually. That's enlightenment. But for that to be supported by the mind, the mind has to be programmed to support it. If the mind is constantly getting involved in resistance, contraction, it's not going to support enlightenment. It's not going to support awareness staying on awareness. And so the mind has to be developed uh, to a degree where it doesn't contract, doesn't resist life. And this is uh, achieved through the practice of acceptance of what is. Acceptance of the way the world is as it is. The acceptance of ourselves as we are, rather than how we'd like to be. It's very challenging. Oh, yeah. Any teacher that tells you that it's easy is lying to you. It is the hardest thing in the world to raise your consciousness levels. You might as well climb Mount Everest, it'd be easier. Because you're going against nature, you're going against your own primal survival mechanism in the mind, which is to resist, which is to defend, which is to survive. Someone who's awake has basically surrendered unconditionally to truth. That means they've died. You also have to be willing to die, right? If you're not willing to surrender, you can't play. It's that, it's that simple. You've ruled yourself out. Surrender is the key. 
I went to the university, I was sick for a while, and I went to the university and, and studied at the university for six months, all the old masters, Hindus, Sufis, Buddhist, uh, and, and they all, you know, at the bottom line of every teaching was surrender. And I came away from the university after six months of studying all the old masters, knowing that the answer was surrender. It is the doorway. And we look for something else because that's so hard to do because it's a non-doing. So we look for something else. We get distracted in lots of other things, collection of knowledge usually, and thinking that somehow we're raising our consciousness. <laughs> look, at, the book look, look at all those books behind me. Well, I have, I have those in my head somewhere because like everybody else, I thought collecting knowledge was the way to go for many, many, many years. And I collected knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and it didn't get me anywhere. It does not raise your consciousness levels does not heal the wounds of your heart. It's actually in a lot of ways in the way, probably the seeker's greatest downfall, the collection of knowledge rather than the practice. Yeah. The, the thing that a lot of people don't talk about enough, I think, is the so-called dark night of the soul or a purging, as you may call it. The bottom line is when we're on this path and we're deprogramming, Man, it, it gets brutal. Yes. And, and and so this isn't very appealing, Vishran. It's like, hey, come get the, the best, most amazing existence of your life. But first, you got to go through hell. Yeah, that's true. Whatever's inside has to be let out. Whatever's inside that's being collected through through repression needs to be let out. And if your mind has been badly programmed, you have to start changing some of that patterning because you need programs that will support higher consciousness, not programs that support lower consciousness. Yeah. Of course, the main program that supports uh, lower consciousness is victim orientation, which is a dream, but it seems real and it keeps us in contra a contracted state, a state of suffering, actually. And so, in eliminating that, you're on the road to higher consciousness, just in eliminating that victim-orientated thinking. But, Lame. you know, we, we, grew, we grew up in an environment where it was all victim-orientated. Our teachers, our parents, our friends, yeah. our relatives, everybody's victim-orientated. So the news. Someone, someone in the news, yeah. Someone who chooses to give up victim-orientated thinking is someone who's quite rare. It's tough, man. You know, I... Yeah, but do you want to be a Jedi Knight or not? <laughs> you can't be a Jedi Knight and be a victim, mate. You've got to be a Sith Lord to be a victim. Yeah. Right, right. And, and yeah, I, I do want to be a Jedi. I do. It, it took a lot of flip-flopping to, to come to that. Mm. It took a lot of suffering to get to that desire. It's like the last desire. Yeah. You know, uh, this past winter and spring, I, I mean, I fell apart. <laughs> I witnessed that. I witnessed you falling apart because you were in contact with me. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I don't, even in retrospect, I don't really know what happened. I, my, I, my mind took over. And, you know, the best I can come up with is 
all those Osho discourses and, and all the sat, you know, doing the sat things with you and you just stirred the pot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a catalyst comes in or, or two and you just go into this so-called dark night, if that's what we're calling it. And it's just this incredible cleansing but it hurts because you don't know what's happening are you dying are you are you are you uh you know suicidal like like all these things and i remember reading your book this is just back in september and you said in your book which is a transcription of satsangs when the stuff's coming up it affects the mind and that the mind can go a little dark because the stuff's coming up. And that, that's, yeah. what it, that's what it hit me that, you know, holy crap. That more than likely stuff was coming up. And that's why my mind went so dark. Yeah. Because it's not like I wasn't on the path. I wasn't a random person just going through this. Otherwise, someone could call it depression or what have you. But when you listen to that much Osho, <laughs> and you listen to that much fish rant, and you're doing a podcast on spirituality, at some point, you're going to fall apart. <laughs> Everybody does. Everybody does, because all of the, well, everything that's in the way has to come down. Satsang is a process of destruction, not a process of building up. Personal growth is building up, bigger, better, and more powerful. But satsang is an undoing process, and you do fall apart. And the closer, the more you are in satsang, the closer you are to someone who's awake, the more you're going to fall apart. Because all the coping mechanisms that hold you together are going to get eroded, and whatever's underneath is going to come to the surface. And as it affects the mind, the mind wanting to be comfortable is going to look for a reason for that feeling to be there and it's going to make stuff up it's just so it can try to control it and a lot of the stuff that it makes up aren't it's not real either as a matter of fact it's quite often victim orientated which produces more of the same type of energy that you're trying to get rid of so it's a trap it's like a loop a loop yeah this is why it's for me, it's, it was very important for me to be with my teachers, to be with people who were further ahead, who were awake, because they could see what was happening and they could guide me. Left to the ego without a teacher, without a guide, the ego will try to be comfortable. It will try to survive. It'll miss the boat. And it's not even real. Well, beingness is real. Everything else is just an appearance. This is the paradox. This is the, you know. I like, I like the way that uh, Ramana Maharshi put it. He's, he said, uh, being this is real, everything else is an illusion. It's all created by the mind. And I agree. But to, to understand that, you have to be um, really experiencing awareness on awareness. Awareness aware of beingness itself. And then it's not a, a concept, it's reality. We are one, I'm talking to myself. 
and I know that. <laughs> this is a part of myself I like. There you go. You see, a lot of people get caught in this thing where they don't think they can uh, love what they don't like. But the truth is, we can love people we don't like. All we have to do is be open. If we're open, we can love everything and everyone. Mm. We don't have to like them. We don't have to like what they're doing, but we can love them. Right. And love is so beautiful. It's the true jewel of consciousness that's here. And if you're willing to practice openness, you'll find it because it's the perception of it, it will be there because it's always here. It's here now. I love you now. <laughs> Ditto. I, I was so closed. I was so yeah. closed. Yeah. You know? But you didn't. You didn't know you were closed. You didn't know. People who are closed quite often don't realize how closed they are. People who are in lower consciousness don't realize how locked in lower consciousness they are. It's not until your consciousness levels rise and you look back and you go, wow, was I lost? <laughs> Moving towards that Jedi state, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in, in September... I remember it so clear because it was the first day of football, American football. And sitting there. All right, some games are on. And then all of a sudden I noticed that I was so present. I went for a walk and everything felt so different. I was what you call being switched on. And all my thoughts were wiped away. Like the best way I can explain it is a windshield wiper on a car. Every thought was like gone, gone. Like nothing lasted more than say five seconds. It's just gone. And I was just like, this is awesome. I'm looking at trees with wonderment. You know? And it lasted five or six hours. I went to bed like that. And then in the morning, my mom pissed me off. <laughs> and then the next few days, I was so upset that this, I feel like I got thrown into a state of reality. It was taken away. I don't know if it's Satori. I don't know what, but whatever it was that I experienced was gone. Oh, it sounded like a Satori. A glimpse of reality, a glimpse of what is true, rather than the dream that you've been in. So how do I get it back? Keep letting go. You know, the practice of openness, which is what allows you to perceive uh, heart or love, is the way. The more open you can be, you were telling me before you were really closed. I would agree with that, but you're opening up. And this is the way to higher consciousness. You don't raise your consciousness levels by being closed. I've met quite a few enlightened people now, and one thing they all have in common is they're wide, wide, wide open. And I'll bet you they were wide, wide, wide open before awakening. Before, before. It's, before, it's the way. Any defense system you have, any protective device you're using is actually in the way of higher consciousness. It's an obstacle. And so the answer to everything is yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And acceptance is the key. It's the key to happiness. 
it's the key to higher consciousness. The big thing that I had to deal with during this time was the whole was having sleep issues. That was the big thing because not sleeping makes your day not so good. Hang on and, a second. You and I have discussed this before because when you were having sleep issues, I talked to you about it. Yeah. Sometimes I don't sleep for days on end because the light really? is so bright. Really? Yeah, and I just make it okay. I just make it okay, particularly when I'm running retreats. Sometimes I don't sleep at all because the light is so bright. My mind just won't turn itself uh, into sleep. Huh. But it's just okay. And I run on empty, which is like using the least amount of energy to do the most amount of things. Huh. It's pretty cool. But if you go into resistance to not being able to sleep, well, right. that's just make it harder for you to sleep. That's right. That was something I had to surrender to. Mm. It took a while. It took, it took months. Yeah, but you're stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, look, most people are stubborn. It, it's and it takes a lot because we stubbornness is resistance, and that's how we've all been programmed. We've all been programmed to be resistant. But if you want to go high in consciousness, you learn to let go. You learn to become less than rather than more than. Interesting story. Back in May. I got together with Mila Ripa, who was a disciple of Osho, a sannyasin. He was one of the musicians. Turns out he lives in Connecticut, where I live. He's only about an hour away. Ah. So him and his, his girlfriend, uh, they were like, yeah, we're driving through. I was like, all right, let's meet at a park, right? I'm, I'm in, the, in the middle of my so-called dark night i mean i'm i'm like going through it you know so i'm we met up and you know we i briefly talked about it and his girlfriend looks at me and she she's from india and she goes you know in india we say that the man who loses his sleep is the man that's on the verge of enlightenment no it's just what she says i have i don't know true or not. But I do know that um, as you go through the dark night of the soul, which Carl Jung termed, uh, you can have problems sleeping because there's, there's no, your mind is disturbed by the energy that's being purged. Yeah. And so this is just uh, time to let go of a whole pile of stuff you've collected over lifetimes. Lifetimes. Not even 42 years. Lifetimes. <laughs> You're only 42 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Lifetimes. Yeah, I, I started to realize that a lot of the stuff coming out of me towards the end was actually older than, older than this body, such as life. Well, that's a good segue of something I wanted to ask you. In your book, Spiritual Mechanics, you mentioned you fell apart too. Mm. You went through it alone. For the most part, right? Osho's gone. Well, Anna's yeah. gone. Yeah, Osho was very hard to get to because he was so popular by the time I joined him. But by the time I joined Osho, I was 28. 
I'd already been at the higher consciousness game undoing myself for nine years um, through organizations here in Australia because I, I loved it. I just loved undoing myself and raising my consciousness levels. It just blew me away that we could do it. I was wondering why we hadn't been taught this stuff at school. Why have we been kept ignorant to higher consciousness? Why had we actually been programmed to live in lower consciousness? In other words, why had we been programmed to be unhappy? Blew my mind that we could actually be happy if we raised our consciousness levels. Yeah. Sweet. What was, what was your falling apart like? Was it in your 40s as you approached that fateful 45th year? I went through different stages of falling apart. There was a lot of things that I had to deal with when I was younger because I had quite a violent upbringing and I had to deal with the trauma inside of myself that was defended through anger and violence itself. And so people who are traumatized have a whole pile of different defense systems to protect themselves from feeling that trauma. And my main defense system was anger. So I had to learn to undo that completely because anger is just violence. Yeah. There's nothing good about anger. It's just violence. Okay. And it creates separation. Yeah. And so I studied anger and I removed it. I, I moved it because I removed victim-oriented thinking. I stopped blaming other people, situations, blaming myself. I stopped blaming for how I felt. Something touched me. Instead of blaming something for it, I owned it. I make myself feel. And for, and for those I, listening, this isn't something you just snap your fingers. This is a lot of work, tedious work. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It, it took a long time because, like everybody else, I'd been programmed to be a victim. I programmed to believe that the world was wrong, that my parents were wrong, that authority was wrong, that people shouldn't do this, they shouldn't do that. A whole pile of belief systems that uh, allowed me to be a victim of life. And I removed them all. I, I didn't leave anything standing because I wanted to be free. During your falling apart, did you do quite a bit of crying? Heck yeah. <laughs> River of tears. Oh my gosh. River Brutal. <laughs> Look, I was very fortunate in that I had, um, I had a lot of help. You know, I had a lot of good teachers who showed me the way. And I, and I really, I got into it when I was 19 years old. And slowly but surely, uh, the bits of pieces of Vishrant that were in the way were removed. And as they were removed, less things tripped me up. Life became happier. Life was more successful. It's very hard to be successful when you're constantly contracting against the world. But if you're wide open, people want to play with you because they can trust you because you're wide open. And so as my uh, consciousness levels rose and I became more and more open, I, I found my life to be happier and happier. But and there is a big but with that. Everything inside did come out. The dark night of the soul, as Jung put it, wow, it did happen. I mean, I, I've cried more this year than my entire life. Easy. Ah. Easy. I wish I was there. I'd give you a, give you a big cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Virtual, <laughs> virtual, virtual hug. A virtual hug, yeah. 
it's it's just brutal man you know i cried this morning yeah yeah but that's okay it's really wonderful that you can allow yourself to cry because it's a wonderful way to let the pain out and to heal if we're willing to meet what's inside of ourselves with a tender okayness we can heal everything inside ourselves tender okayness that's brilliantly put you know yeah i have on my little whiteboard in the office here make everything okay yeah be okay with everything i got that from you mm. we're carrying so much it's the the crying is is it's cleansing though it is cleansing everybody carries pain everybody represses pain because we're not in a society that expresses we're in a society that represses so everyone's got pain body and everybody if they allow themselves to open up will empty out but most people don't they actually go to their graves full of pain and that's such a shame because it doesn't need to be so you said in spiritual mechanics you said you, you, it's tough because you don't know how much pain someone's carrying you don't know how big their pain body is so you don't know when it's going to end so as a whole this whole dark night falling apart thing has to be an acceptance too, because you have to just be willing to just like, you don't know. It could be the, forever. the rest of you. forever, forever, forever. Yeah. Forever. Because it's like an onion. You peel a layer and you think, Oh God, that's gone. And then another layer appears and you go, Oh my God, another layer, you know? And you, but you just go, okay, this too, this too. And you don't get, you don't play life be out of it. You don't go and lock yourself away because you're going through the dark night of the soul. You stay in life. You you do what you need to do because we're all lay people here. We're not we don't have the uh, luxury of being in a monastery or an ashram and be in sanctuary. We've, a lot of us have got kids. We've got jobs to hold down. So you do all this work while you're working, while you've got your kids, while you're in the marketplace, and it's absolutely possible if you're willing. But couldn't I just double down, get super duper disciplined, and just hit the home run? <laughs> Do I got to go another 10 years with this crap or what? <laughs> See, if you hit a home run, who's going to win? You sure there's not no one losing here? You see, the whole game is let's take everyone with us. And so you wake up, you become enlightened, and you become a light so others can see. Right. But for that to occur, you don't get to hit the home run. You get to die. There's no, you don't, you don't win because you disappear. Enlightenment happens, and then you as an I drop because it's obvious you're not real. Most people think they're an I. They think there is somebody that's been somewhere, that's going somewhere, that's made up of reference points. But you take away your imagination and you do not exist. It's so obvious too. Once, once you start going deeper, it's so obvious. Maybe someone just needs a Satori to really understand, but it's obvious. It's so obvious. That's what's so challenging and irritating about it is that it's obvious and we're looking at you mm -hmm. and i'm feeling you because I, I can feel people i'm just so it's lovely that i can feel you mm -hmm. and i can feel that in a way you're fighting the silence inside yourself because we're doing an interview 
and your job is to question me, That's right. uh, you're holding yourself together. I can feel you holding yourself together, but I can feel that inside of you, there's this expansion in your mind that's happening. There's an expansion. <laughs> and you're starting to struggle to find questions. You're starting to struggle to talk. And this is a thing. Let go. Bang. <laughs> you see, you let go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if right now is the right time to let go. That's that's the problem. Because you're working and you're you're interviewing, it's it's not the right time. But this is what happened to me in interviewing Osho, Raj Rajneesh. Right. I was interviewing him and I started losing my mind and I had to really struggle to hold my mind together because of his energy field. When what would have been better for me at the time would have been to just let go and go blah. But yeah. I also I saw all that in hindsight, you see. Yeah. yeah. And so people interview me like yourself and they start slowly their mind starts to lose its integrity to some degree and they lose their acumen to interview. And instead of actually just letting go and going blah, surrendering to that space, which is always here, they continue to hold on and try to make it work. and try to make them make it professional. You see, from my perspective, when you ask me to do an interview, I'm here to help you wake up. I'm not here to do an interview. <laughs> I see someone who's who has the potential of being a light so others can see. That's what I see. Why would I waste it on an interview? when I can actually talk to you like this and you can have a look and start to feel that silence and stillness in your own mind because it's disappearing. <laughs> Always trying to drown me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Drowned in the nothingness. Mm. So you find yourself as the nothingness. And that's what happened to me. I was walking around the abyss, looking at the nothingness, and then suddenly I found I was the abyss. I was the nothingness. And I'm talking to another part of the nothingness that's got a little bit that hasn't let go yet. And when that little bit go, lets go, that that's aware of your mind is going to become aware of itself. And th that's enlightenment. That's Satori. If it stays, it's enlightenment. Always trying to take people there because that's the place. That's who we truly are. It's what we really are. Not the one that thinks it knows, not the one that wants to do an interview, but the one that is simply aware. That vast nothingness that is so beautiful and is here now. I think one one of the obstacles for me has been the so-called spiritual ego. Ah, spiritual ego. Because now yeah. what happens is the mind. It's like a, the mind now has daydreams of being enlightened. Yeah, everything for truth and nothing for you. It's the it's the only deal on the table, and it's the best deal in town. Everything for truth or everything for God, whatever you want to call truth, God, and nothing for you as an I, nothing for you. 
and that's the deal. There is no other deal. And quite often that deal will begin with everything for heart because people love love. So everything for love and nothing for you. It's the same deal. Well, it's you interesting. I had, um, I had Rabbi Manus Friedman on this podcast. He's a very popular rabbi on YouTube and whatnot. And he was talking about how God is needy. And he said, too many people got it wrong. He says, he says, everyone's like, what can God do for me? What can God do for me? He goes, no, 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 no. You have to do for God. <laughs> Sounds like JFK. Don't ask what America can do for you. Ask what you can do for America. But I don't see it. I don't see it that way. I'd love to have a chat with this guy, but I don't see it that way. God, it, neediness belongs to the mind. God is everything. God is everything. Not the mind. The mind is so small, so limited. Existence doesn't need anything because it's perfect exactly as it is. <laughs> you conceptualize God, but there's a big difference between conceptualizing God and knowing God as self or knowing truth as self. The concept is a part of the mind. It's so small. The knowing self as truth, you can't, you can't possibly even talk about it, let alone describe it, really. It's just impossible. It's too vast. Our minds are too small to even comprehend what is being seen. Do you think that's why traditionally, or going back to Gautama, the Buddha and whatnot, do you think that's why he kept God out of it? He didn't want anyone to become attached to that. It's just move that to the side and let's Absolutely. just focus on the discipline. The whole idea of you and God is separation. And that's in the way. Hmm. Creating yourself as separate from God. When God is omnipresent, omnipresent, God is everything. And when that, that's, aware of your mind becomes aware of itself that is seen as such that we are all of that and that's enlightenment if it's ongoing if it's only a short period it's just satori so people experience self as everything in satori or they might experience the brightness and the silence and the stillness there's different types of satori there's different right. levels of it right. but basically Everything is God, but we as human beings tend to project ourselves onto God. And this is a mistake because God is everything. And this is just a space suit with an onboard computer that thinks it's important. And it's not. It's just a part of everything. So as a, it's almost like the body and the mind is an avatar. That beingness, which is everything, gets to experience this plane in. But it's not personal in any way, shape, or form. It's because we are everything. How can it be personal? I am you. You are me. We are one. No personal. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm switched on, and I'm watching the mind. I just laugh at it. Good. Sometimes, sometimes I'll talk to it. I say, hey, 
Go ahead. Keep going. I'll just watch you. It's fine. Perform. <laughs> what? See, now I lost my thought. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> I can see you're gone. But this is beautiful. It's beautiful to be gone. I spend my life gone. Gone, gone, gone beyond. Gate, gate. Yeah, gate, gate, parigate. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so, who are people that are deeply religious and usually the Abrahamic religions, but who are they talking to when they pray to God? Themselves. You see, you love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole body. You love God, and in that love, you disappear and find yourself as that. Love is another vehicle or another doorway because you surrender to love, and it allows you to know yourself as the truth. But you give your whole life to God or whatever you want to call it. And then instead of knowing yourself as this little I, which is so small, you know yourself as the universe ongoing. This is enlightenment. And we are all that, not just some people. Everyone is that. But we have this bad habit of projecting things onto God that have nothing to do with God. God is everything. And we are that. And in some religions, that would be seen as blasphemy. I really don't care because it's the truth. We are that. We are everything also. Yeah, this is... But not personal, not personal. It's not like the I is claiming that. It's, it's just a fact. We are all that. The idea of good, bad, right, wrong, I don't get it. It's like it's just what is. There's perfection upon perfection upon perfection. How can God be imperfect in any way, shape, or form? It's all God. It's all truth. Everything. Perfection upon perfection. Love upon love upon love. So what's the purpose of life? <laughs> Good question. When you find out, let me know. <laughs> I have... I don't know. I've been looking since I was a boy for the meaning of life. The ego wants to have a purpose because it wants to think that it's going somewhere. It wants to think that it's going to survive because, after all, it is a survival mechanism. But I have been looking for nearly 60 years. I can't find any purpose in life or any meaning in life except life itself. But as human beings, because of our intelligence, we have the ability to get out of the way enough and turn that that's aware of the mind onto itself and wake up to know ourselves as truth. Not personally, but to wake up and know ourselves as that, that is everything. And the seeker is the one that goes for it. You're a seeker. You're going for it. Yeah. And not that many people are going to understand you. They don't understand now with being an alternative healthcare 
practitioner. That's bad enough. <laughs> if you knew, and this is all hypothetical, but if you knew what you know now, let's just say at 19, could you have fast-tracked it and not gone from 19 to 45? Yes. You could have. You, you, you could have doubled down. I could have fast-tracked it because I could have practiced acceptance and the totality of acceptance a lot earlier. I, I could have known in that case that the doorway is death of the eye, that the eye doesn't survive the journey into reality because the eye itself is not real. Sorry. I could have. And the willingness to let go of everything is death. The willingness to be a nothing, a nobody, going nowhere, is death. You surrender unconditionally, no conditions whatsoever. You do not know what's going to happen after awakening occurs. You don't even know if the body's going to survive it. You just don't know. I meet these people who say, I want to get enlightened and I want to write a book and I want to do public exit le lectures after I wake up and I want to be a satsang teacher. You have no idea what's going to happen. You might make it. You might end up dead. You, you know, that's what might happen. You don't know. You just don't know. All these projections are rubbish. Because one of the things that definitely happens upon awaken, awakening, if not a long time before, is you become extremely present to reality. There is no future. There is no past. There is only now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I knew it for like five or six hours. Yeah. It's so true. Not completely, though, because there still was thoughts, but they just didn't last. They just. So what's happening in your head right now? Well, just. What's the next question going to be? Why what is it so hot in here? Because it's like 75 in here. <laughs> look into your head right now without trying to look for questions, because I know you're trying to do an interview. But look into your mind and see how empty it is right now. Yeah. This is why people come to satsang. This is why people come and play with me. Their minds become vacant. They find peace. But really, as someone who's awake is a doorway to your own true nature, out of the dream, out of the matrix of the mind, into reality. But we're so used to noise, the silence that gets found is missed. The stillness that gets found is missed because we're so accustomed to noise, the noise of the mind. Man, it just doesn't shut up sometimes. <laughs> what about right now? <laughs> Today I was at the park and what I do is this little exercise where I focus on the bushes or the trees and I'll find a line of bushes or trees. And I try to take my eyes from one to the other without a thought. 
Right. It's Jedi training, you know. What happens if you focus on my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> oh when no. I, when I looked into my teacher's eyes, uh, my awake teacher's eyes, I found my death because I found that vast nothingness that we are. And in that, the eye dropped and I found my death as an eye. Yeah. But that opened a whole other world to, of reality. The false one had dropped and now reality was shining. It was obvious. <laughs> I love talking to you, Kevin. <laughs> I once heard you say that you had a Satori while you were driving. I had one uh, about two or three weeks ago when it, it was, I'm always in Satori, but the Satori was bigger and I disappeared completely out of the vehicle. And then the passenger noticed that the vehicle was on the wrong side of the road headed towards the trees. I'd actually left the body. And they grabbed me by the arm and I come back into the body and there I was on the wrong side of the road headed towards the trees. Oh, so you I, were was dri dri oh, I was wow. driving. Yeah. And so I'm not driving long distance anymore because when I drive, I start to really, really go back and back and back and back to a point where there's just no awareness out here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Most people would just say you're a crazy old man. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely a crazy old man. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are knocking on 70. Wow. That's in this lifetime. What about, about just on this planet, about 10,000 years? We've been here before. We repeat this over and over again. Yeah. I have no idea why, but we do. We come back, we get born. We do the whole thing again, the whole suffering trip again. Then we die. Then we get reborn again. We do it again. But you've beat the game. <sighs> it sounds like there's something to win when you say that. Mm-hmm. From the perspective of the ego, yeah, I guess so. But from the perspective of reality, it just doesn't matter. Nothing does. It's all perfect. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it is all perfect. So you've got to look at what perspective are you looking at from. The ego eventually gives itself to truth, and in that it dies, it drops. And then there's just nothingness as self. People are frightened of that. They think, oh, that's negative. No, it's beautiful. It is beautiful to know yourself as truth. But we're so frightened of the unknown because that's what the mind is programmed to do. Be fearful of what it doesn't know. And people believe the fear. It's not real. Fear is a projection. Do you and other Buddhas not tell us everything. 
some some don't some don't tell people how hard it is to wake up some people some buddhas don't say how difficult it's going to be and i think that's a mistake i think the seeker deserves to know the truth as to how hard it's going to be and what needs to happen and when i was a seeker as a human being i was i only hung out with teachers who could see me and who prepared to tell me what they could see i wasn't interested in anyone who was flattering me because i already knew that i was great i didn't need to be told what i needed to be told was where i was going wrong where i was stepping off the track where i was making mistakes and so i sought out teachers who were like that and so some teachers don't tell people enough of the truth i feel and i think a seeker deserves the truth they deserve to know how it works and that's why i put out that book the nuts and bolts of uh, spirituality because people need to know if you're going to take yourself apart you need to know how i really mean the supernatural stuff like i once heard supernatural <laughs> yeah well i don't know what else to call it but i mean this, like the stuff you just talked about in the car uh yeah this is th th there's i guess what i'm asking is there's got to be things that buddha didn't say because or osho or whoever because you're meeting the seeker where they're at which is a program mind stuck in the ego you start talking some leaving the body stuff right that's not where they're at <laughs> unless they're like doing you know they, they need to worry about not getting triggered by mom <laughs> you know what i mean that's where i'm at <laughs> Awareness is everywhere, and we are that. And so you talk about it being supernatural. It's, it's not supernatural. It is natural. We are everything. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, uh, it's artificial to think of yourself as an I because the eye is just made up of dream it's not real but the universe is real beingness is real truth is real heart is real the mind is not and what it thinks about itself and the world is not real they're just thoughts they're just imagination the quest for the seeker is to find what is real as self that is the quest What's the meaning of, say, Jesus walking on water? I don't know. I never saw him. <laughs> never? <laughs> no, I, don't, I can't recall meeting Jesus, no. I, I, it would have been memorable, but I don't remember, no. If the water's really, really, really shallow, I can walk on it, but that's it. It'd have to be like this deep. Apparently, Jesus walked on very deep water. I don't know. This is the thing. It's like the more you recognize and acknowledge that you don't know, the closer to reality you're getting. 
because we don't know. We just want to know so we can control things because we don't like not knowing. We don't like being out of control. It frightens us. But the, more, the higher in consciousness you go, the more you realize we really don't know. We don't know anything. And then you can live in I don't know, which is a state of wonderment. It's beautiful. I don't know. What about something like levitation? Well, it's a Jedi power. <laughs> I've been trying that sort of thing for ages, but I'm just not good at it. <laughs> you mean you can't fly yet? I can fly, but not with the body. It's like astral travels are something that can happen, but the body just stays on the ground. Gravity is really strong, man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> wow well <clears throat> this satori that you had recently you just talked about in the car it was just random like like you had no control over it. it just happened right at this moment i'm aware of you but i'm also aware of the universe itself now if my awareness of you disappeared i would just be aware of universe itself and that's what happened in the car instead of being i was aware of universe itself and the road and driving but awareness pulled back away from the mind away from the world and back on itself and so there was a disappearance of awareness out here because awareness can face more than one direction it can face in and out in most human beings it faces the mind and through the mind senses the world and that's how most humans live their whole life with awareness on their mind and through the senses the world in someone who's awake awareness is on itself but it can also be on the mind and through the world and through the senses of the world. But it's on itself and it's always on itself. If it's not on itself, it's not awake. There's no, there's no awakening. It has to be on itself. And so Satori, as Satori is described, is happening right at this moment. Hmm. After I had my so-called Satori in September, I, uh, the ego also grabbed a hold of it because then it yeah. wanted it wanted to tell people. I almost yeah. wanted to go on my Facebook page and say, "Guess what?" <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about. It's this this spiritual ego, like the mind, seems to anything it can sink its claws into. Well, in Buddhism, there's a, a saying, uh, if you meet the Buddha on the path, kill the Buddha. Kill the Buddha, yeah. The Satori that you had is the Buddha. If you don't kill it, it will haunt you and you'll compare everything to it. And that comparison is a dream. It takes you away from reality. And so you kill the Buddha. You forget the past. You forget the story, Satori. You forget it completely. Leave it alone. Be fresh with what's here now. Always. Always. Always.
but then you can disappear. <laughs> you don't exist anyway. You're just a figment of your own imagination, mate. <laughs> That's the thing, Vish. Is all right. <laughs> the, the subconscious mind is involved here in some way, right? This yeah. is like our. I always view the subconscious mind almost like a television, and it's playing your programming could be something from when you're two years old or two lifetimes ago and you don't even know and it's just projecting something is that is this, is this like where our karma is is this where our the subconscious mind is some people call it the inner child too hmm. well inner child work yeah i don't know i don't know the answer i hear what you're saying i just don't know the inner the subconscious mind is just part of the mind. Then you have the reptilian mind, which is kind of like a real basic primal stuff. But you can surrender it all. We have the ability to surrender everything and be free. But most people will never surrender because they don't want to let go of control. They want to maintain safety through control. And someone who's awake has let go of control. They've surrendered. Does this include some of your community members in the satsang? Are they not ready to let go? And the, if someone's ready to let go, they would have let go. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Now, now, now let's relate this back to your, your, your journey, though. Yeah. You're saying you weren't ready to let go until you were 45 years old. I thought I was ready after the first Satori's, uh, you know, 12 years before, but I wasn't ready. There was things that I was still unconsciously attached to, still things I was unconsciously connected to that I hadn't surrendered. And so I had to go in there and just find those things and let go, let go, let go. The game was openness. I played the game of openness. And the more open you can be, the more you can let go. Anywhere where you're closed is a trap. It's where you're stuck. Anything you're hanging on to is a prison. People see you now and they're probably saying, you know, looking, you know, wow, this guy is living the life. He's unbothered, enlightened, etc." But you've been through a lot of pain. <laughs> In your book, I heard you, and, and in a video, you don't mention it often, but you lost a child. Yeah. That's heavy duty. It is. But you've got to understand that what I am and what you are cannot be touched by anything ever under any circumstances. The mind can be touched, the body can be touched, but what we are cannot be touched. Beingness cannot be touched by anything, and I live as that. Well, a better way of putting that is I exist as that, because what we are was never born and it cannot die, so it can't really live, it just is. Were you awake when his passing happened, or were you? Yes. It was only four, four years ago four years ago yeah wow okay 
Yeah, he went uh he went back to the light. And he he was like 20 or something like that. Yeah, that's right. He died from bone cancer. It took him about 18 months to die after diagnosis. Man. And it was it was when he when the diagnosis occurred, I felt at that particular moment that he was going to die. And uh but he wanted to try to survive, as everybody does. And so we flew him all around the world, getting different treatments that he wanted to get. Uh, and we tried our best to help him save himself, but it didn't work in the long run. Wasn't meant to be. Obviously, he knows what you do. What you do. Hmm. He, he was, I respected him. He didn't want me to. He had been into many satsangs. He was a part of the community, but he didn't want me to talk to him about surrendering to death. And so I respected that and I didn't because he didn't want to face death. And it's very hard for a young person to face death. But if you want to wake up, it's the only possibility because the eye does die. It drops. It doesn't have a future anymore. It doesn't have a past anymore. Ultimately, we're not human beings, we are being. And, and when enlightenment occurs, you, you exist as being. You don't exist as a human being anymore, not really, because you've gone beyond it. You know yourself as truth, not as an I, not as a body, but as truth. You know yourself as that. And knowing self as that, you're beyond everything. You cannot be touched by anything. You cannot that, be defeated. You can still have physical pain. No. Well, the body can have physical pain. That's yeah. true. But the likelihood that you're going to resist it, resist it is pretty limited as well. I don't resist anything. Why would I? That's suffering. Why would I do that? <laughs> There's no point resisting anything ever. So if you were given 18 months, it would be whatever. You would meet that with indifference. If I was to give, be given a minute, I would be exactly the same as I am right now in acceptance of everything as it is. No resistance, none whatsoever. Why? My mind knows better than to resist life. We're, we're going to physically die. It, there's no, it, it's what is. It sure is. Everybody's going to die. You're going to die. This body here is going to die. This is the reality of the world we live in. It's okay. Is this video going to die? <laughs> uh, look, everything, everything's terminal. Everything has a time. We don't know if there's even going to be an internet in a hundred years. Wow. I'm in tears already. <laughs> Maybe that's the purpose is just to play. Oh, it is just to play. Like today in, in Australia is Remembrance Day. The 11th uh, of the 11th uh, is when World War II finished and we we, the, we honor that day for the veterans who fought in that war uh, on the 11th hour of the 11th day, 11th month. And uh, in a little while, I'll be going to uh, walk from 
the RSL, which is the Returned Soldiers League, to uh, a memorial with a group of men who have been soldiers to honour their service to our country. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Now, I know that we're all being this, and I'm living as that, but I just love humans. And so I'm going to walk with them and love them as they do their remembering. Yeah, I, I see you know, I see your picture sometimes. You're part of some sort of group, some sort of club, motor club or something? or Motorcycle club, yeah, the Military Brotherhood Motorcycle Club. Yeah. Cool. Do they notice that you're living as being this or the, you're just? No, nobody notices. Why would they notice? I'm just, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be special. I'm a nobody going nowhere. And I'm moving in that, in that, in that direction pretty rapidly. <laughs> I, it, life is so brilliant just as it is. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to get. We're on this damn ball traveling through space at 25,000 miles an hour without anyone driving. What's everyone so worried about? <laughs> people are, people are, are scared to die, Vishrant, you know? Well, people are because... scared to suffer. But we're programmed to, to, to be frightened of death because the mind is a survival mechanism. The body is a survival mechanism. But that's all human beings in a lot of ways are, survival mechanisms. But because of our intelligence, we can go beyond survival and love. And that's the beauty of being a human being. We can love. We can learn to put our side, ourselves aside enough, open up enough to perceive love. How wonderful is that? What you just said before that, are you alluding to the fact that as time goes, as earth time goes, you're sort of fading away? Hence that Satori you just had in the car? Yes. That's true. Like how Yoda disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Yoda. <laughs> well, I, I just because you know, you look at a lot of the enlightened masters, self realized masters, they don't live that old. I can't recall one being a hundred years old or anything like that. No, well, I don't get to talk to anyone anyway. I don't have any attraction at all to awakened people, they're already lights. I have an attraction to those who want to be lights, those who are seekers, those, those who are willing, they, they attract me. I don't have anything to say to someone who's already awake. There's nothing to say. They just sit there in silence, right? When you meet. Yeah, pretty much. Because the Buddha fields are just connecting, I guess. Well, it's uh, my experience with being in the presence of other awake people is the Buddha field seems to get stronger. And if we could have a lot of Buddha fields on this planet, it would be really good for the, the population here. But we don't have that many, which is a shame, because not that many people are willing to pay the ultimate price for freedom, which is death of the I, unconditional surrender of the I.
because the eye thinks it's real, but it's not. The eye thinks it's real, but it's not. It's not who we are. The eye thinks it's who we are, but it's not. We are beingness. We are pure awareness, and we are here now as everything, not as a somebody, not personal. So what do I got to do as my so-called final steps to let go? <laughs> See, different people who are awake give people things to do that will actually help them wake up. These things are called sadhanas. Mm -hmm. And the, mo the sadhana that I give most people is the sadhana of openness. You practice openness and acceptance with everything in life and it will set you free. It, the only thing that keeps you imprisoned is your constant resistance to life, which you're programmed to do. So it's natural for you to do that. But to go against that is to practice openness, is to practice acceptance of life as it is and witness the mind instead of getting caught in the mind. Just watch the mind and you start to see how, it's, how it operates. And you can take apart the bits that are keeping you trapped. So you witness the mind and you practice openness. This is enough to take you home to your own true nature. But it does demand that you actually witness the mind and that you practice openness. Thinking what I've said is a good idea isn't enough. Thinking it's a bad idea, well, <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> My teacher, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, taught witnessing the mind and meditation, being present to what is real and simply watching the mind. He liked Vipassana. He liked, the, he liked everything about Buddha. He did. He liked Buddha. He liked Lao Tzu. He liked a lot of the awakened ones. Hmm. But he, he, he was kind of brilliant. He was. He was poetry. Very bright, very bright light. <laughs> He was poetry. Now what we need to see is a bright light there. A Kevin Reese bright light. Yeah, yeah that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I must go. It is time for me. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to disappear, are you? <laughs> I disappeared 22 years ago. I'm just pretending to be here. I've been pretending to be a human now for 22 years. There's no human here. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time. May peace be with you.